Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. So once again, good morning, Dr. Leo Hatfield and everyone else joining us online this morning. It's so great to be with you. If you are part of our church, if you're a Christian, this is the time that we open up our Bibles, that we ask the Spirit to come and convict us even more of the good news of Jesus Christ and to lead us in what the implications of His gospel is in every area of our life. And if you're not a Christian yet, if you are still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus and to know God, it's so great to have you with us on the journey. So can I ask all of us to open up our Bibles together to the second half of the Bible called the New Testament, and in it you'll find a book called First Peter. Uh, we are still in our series called Rooted Hope, Our New Normal, and today we're going to start digging into a massive text, a controversial text. There's a whole bunch of things that if we misunderstand it, we're going to be very confused, um, but I actually think that this can change our lives. I think this can change our country. So this is a good time to close Facebook, to put away your phone, and to ask the Holy Spirit to focus your mind and your heart so that we can roll up our sleeves and get into this thing together. So the end of last week, we ended with this one thought. What would it mean if God were the main character in my life's story? What if my greatest dream in life would be through everything that God has given me, my vocation, my health, my sexuality, my finances, that he would be made known and be made great. So let me just remind us, 1 Peter 2.12, Peter said, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, those who don't follow Jesus, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will give glory to God on the day he visits. So now Peter is going to unpack what this means. What does it look like in the different areas of life for his audience and the circumstances that they found themselves in to make God, to make Jesus the main character in your life story? And the four areas of life that were really pertinent to the early church for these people in the church that got scattered and thrown into a type of lockdown through persecution and pressure all over Asia Minor in the ancient world, for them, these four things he wanted to touch upon. What does it look like when in your government, in your employer-employee relationships, your work, in your marriage, or in your church, God is made the main character. So, of course, those are four easy, very simple, non-controversial things to speak about. And to be honest, I wish we had a couple of sermons to spend on each of them. But today, we are only going to scratch the surface. And we've decided to break it into two parts. So we're going to do, you know, changing South Africa for good part one. We will tackle these first two. We'll speak about government and your boss. And then in part two, we'll speak about marriage and the church. And just before we get into it, just one more comment on the text. Friends, if you are just early in your journey with Jesus, we are all growing and learning together. It's so important to remember that the Bible was written for us, but the Bible was not written to us. It's timely in its message about God and what it reveals, but we have to understand the Bible is a library of genres and works. It's 66 books, each with its own context, each with its own writing and history. Um, each of these things we have to go back to. We have to go through the gate 
of the context of the book, if we are going to get back to what God wants to say to us afresh through his Holy Spirit, through his Bible today. And especially this text we're going to dive into. There's a whole bunch of things that Peter is going to touch upon, these kind of hot-button topics that, you know, if you just read them flatly, if you just scan through this passage, you're going to see words like submission and slavery and suffering. If we get stuck on those things and simply scan through the passage and look for a couple of tweetable, you know, one-liners, we are going to miss it. We have to dig into this scripture, do the hard work, and trust that God has got something great for us. So here's my question for us today. In 20 years from now, 2040, whatever, what's going to be the one thing that we remember from this time, this crazy time that we live in, that made the greatest difference in our country? What's that one thing that will survive, that will outlast all of just what we are living through at the moment, this once-in-a-lifetime moment? Because, guys, can I just say, the, you know, our country, the emotions are just boiling over. Every single day, activists are finding a new enemy to deplatform and to silence and to destroy. Every single day, Politicians are trying to one-up each other and win back some constituents. Every single day, a new expert is saying, no, this is actually how we were supposed to handle this whole outbreak and coronavirus and pandemic issues. Every single day, you are receiving more conspiracy videos from people saying, these are the actual organizations and people behind everything, you know, pulling the strings And all these things just leave us feeling like we can't actually make a difference, that we can't actually affect change. It's almost, you know, the world is saying to us, tear down the system, get off the grid, silence those who disagree with you, take a public stand. And you know what Peter is going to say to us in this time, to the church in this time? He's going to say, no, I want you to submit. I want you to submit that word that none of us want to hear. He's going to say that is the most counter-cultural expression and posture that we can take in crazy corona times, to submit. That's the word that we're going to find over and over and over as we dive into these topics. In the context of government and your work and marriage and church, submit. And this word that we're going to find all over this passage, it's, it's smashing together two Greek ideas, two Greek words. The one is the order of things. Each of us have an order in life that we live part of. It's maybe your marriage or your singleness or your job or the government or society. There are all these different orders that we have around us. And the second idea that means to be under He is saying, Peter is saying, what does it mean to live under the order that God has placed you in? And how do we do that in a way that speaks of God? Because I want to say, friends, South Africa can change for good. We can affect permanent change. But it's only going to happen when on ground level we see a change, when we break the cycles uh, you know, these generational cycles in household, in households. It's only when we change the way we do business. It's only when we change the way that we engage with government. We're going to look back in 20 years and we are going to cherish the change that came in households and marriages and businesses when we live with God as the main character. 
J.I. Packer says, it's a paradox of the Christian life that the more profoundly one is concerned about heaven, the more deeply one cares about God's will being done on earth. When God is the main character, we can see this country affected by the gospel. So firstly, Peter is saying, let me use the first example that was crucial to where they were. Remember, this was what happened to the early church in that part of the world. They got thrust into a type of lockdown, thrown from their homes, and they're asking, how should we live? And for us to understand that we have to get into the context. So the first question then is, how can I live so that God is the main character with regard to government? Read with me. First Peter 2, verse 13. Peter says, submit, there's our word, to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor or to the supreme authorities or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So Peter is saying that for us to live under the order that God has given us, we should honor all the authorities in our society. And he uses two examples. He says the emperor, which was the highest authority in his time, and then these governors that he would employ. So in our context, whether it's national or local authorities, when it's the normal running of things, we should submit our lives to them. Why, Peter says? Is it because they've earned it? Because they have, you know, their reputation's good? They are just stand out in their character? No, he says it's more important than that. We do it, why? Because of the Lord. He's saying that if you have brought your life under under submission to God, if you are no longer living as if you are the captain of your own soul, as if the universe revolves around you, as if everything in life is about your needs and your fulfillment, if you've come to a place where you've realized when you live like that, when you are the God of the universe, that you destroy yourself and those around you, when you've come to the place of submitting your life and heart under God through faith in Jesus Christ, he says when that's happened, then you can without any fear submit to the authorities around you. And think about how radical this statement is, especially coming from Peter, because he is writing in a time where the emperor that he speaks of, the highest authority, is not just any emperor, it's Emperor Nero. This is legitimately one of the most evil people to ever walk the face of the earth. In fact, the internationally renowned criminal psychologist Thomas Mueller, he led a team of historians to look into this man's life, and they called him synonymous with evil. This is a guy who had his own, his own mother, his own wife, and his own stepbrother murdered. He brutally killed Christians, and he was behind this massive fire that ravaged all of Rome. This is not a guy who earned the respect of the people in his area, in his place of governance. And yet Peter says, it's not because of him. Why? We live under the order. We submit in the normal running of things. Why? Because God, because of what he has done in our hearts. 
See, we don't submit because a political leader is charismatic or because my boss has finally you know, picked up his socks and he's doing the things as he's supposed to or my spouse is finally living up to the standard that I want in our house. No, that's all outside in change. You don't need God for that. That's just how the world operates. No, Peter's saying it's when God arrests your heart, when he comes into your life, when he takes up residence, when I live as if he is the main character in my life, then even when life is unfair, even when the authorities are not just, I can still live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So let's get practical. He gives us, I think, three principles with regard to government and our Christian faith. The first one is this. The question then for us, first principle, is think about your own life. What does your general posture, your general attitude with regard to authority and the government say about the God that you serve? What does your general posture with regard to the government say about the God that you serve? Because Peter says these authorities, they can either punish us or they can praise us. In other words, it means that those people around us, the authorities, the way we live, the way we speak, the way we conduct ourselves, it actually has an influence on them. It changes and softens up their hearts or it hardens their hearts to the gospel. And so Peter is saying, listen, unless you have a very good reason, why do you have a reputation for souring God in the hearts of the authorities around you, the people around you? Why not have a reputation of being honoring and praying for and engaging with and speaking well of and keeping accountable the government under which you have been placed? And he says, we don't do this out of some obligation. You know, God is going to hurt me if I don't do it. Or the, the church is saying I have to. He's saying we do it as what? As free people. He's saying that we have, not through our own strength, because we're great religious people. No, the Christian church is made up of people who have admitted, I cannot do it. I cannot fix myself. It's only as I've trusted through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, as he came to defeat uh, and and break us away from the slavery of sin and death, It's in that moment only that we were able to do this. We have been freed from sin and death. And now the question is, will you use your freedom to to be someone who speaks well of, to work for the good? Or will you use your freedom and become known as someone who's disrespectful, disconnected, dishonest, and disruptive? That's what Peter is asking. Can we just imagine for a moment in 20 years' time, that kids would grow up in a house, maybe very different from the houses that we grew up in, where very, very often, you know, politics and the government, it was always spoken of in, with anger and frustration. It was always, you know, cursed out. We were always trying to look how we could sidestep the authority. Just imagine growing up, if we could raise our kids in this day and age, and as moms and dads actually once a week lead our family in praying for our president, for our government if we could model to them what it means to actually you know, respectfully disagree with someone about truth, what it means to, to not try and sidestep the authority constantly, but to actually honor them in the way that we live. Can you imagine the kind of country we would have 
If a generation of young people came out of the church with a posture to make God the main character of their lives and the way they handle authority. You know, the other day, people in our complex, they had friends come to visit them and these friends, their kids at one stage ended up in our house and they're playing with our kids and I'm sitting and I'm working and I'm listening to this conversation. Eldest boy, he's playing with my eldest daughter and I'm so frustrated because this boy is being so disrespectful. He's being so rude. And he's just telling my daughter the whole time about, you know, we've got much, much nicer toys than you guys have. And we've got a much nicer house than you guys have. And, you know, we've got much more money than you guys have. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, how old do you have to be to get punched in the face? Because I'm so frustrated. And in that moment, it is so beautiful because I've got all this anger in me. And I just hear my daughter, it almost felt like the Holy Spirit was just working in her heart at that moment. She came back with such a different posture, with such a different heart. Can we imagine what it would mean if we had a different posture toward the government, toward authority? That's God's will. You know, in South Africa, your accent kind of gives you away. Isn't that true? Your accent will kind of tell people where you come from. So the, you know, brew, brew thing is from Joburg, you know, and, and in Pretoria you have this kind of flat Afrikaans that people speak, you know, my mom's the poor, that's how people pronounce things. And like my brew is such a Western Cape way of speaking. So your accent kind of gives you away in our country. Peter is saying, what is the general feeling that you give off? What's the accent that you have when it comes to the government and to authority? Is it one of respect, of truth, of grace, of humility? Or what is your posture? So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, yes, we want to, in general, have a posture of humility and submission before the authorities when it's in the normal running of things. But secondly, this, within the legal bounds of our country, we should keep the government accountable and we should work toward good and peaceful ways. Yes, we should do that. Just remember that the Christians that Peter are speaking to, they were considered non-citizens by the government. They were considered non-citizens by the Romans. So they had no choice. They had no choice in, in living in this kind of submissive posture. So Peter is like a good pastor. He's actually shepherding them in a way for their own safety. Don't die over something stupid and, and bring the church into disrepute. But the beautiful thing about bringing the Bible into our context is noting both the similarities and the differences. And therefore, we live in a different context. In South Africa, like most modern democracies, our constitution not only allows, but it encourages us to keep the government accountable, to work toward the good in truth. That's something we should be doing. Peter says it's when we do good that it silences people's ignorance, that it brings change. That's not a passive posture. You know, Christians shouldn't get involved in politics and, you know, government and all these things. We just go to church. No, he says we've got a proactive, sleeves-rolled-up approach to our city and to our country. It's when we do good that change comes. I can disagree with your religious views and beliefs, But I'm struck in my heart when I see people living with conviction when it comes to truth and forgiveness and grace and hope. That's why the Christian church has always been in the forefront of social reform. 
When you think about guys like William Wilberforce leading the charge to abolish slavery in Britain. You think of someone like um, Martin Luther King Jr., the leader of the civil rights movement in America. You think of of someone like Desmond Tutu in South Africa, this voice in the anti-apartheid activism. If you think about someone like like Francis Willard, who fought for women's rights in North America, all these people and so many more that we can mention, they actually stood up against the status quo of their day, of the authorities, and they changed their respective nations and worlds forever. But the thing is, it's not just what they did, it's how they did it. If you go and read Martin Luther King's letters from this jail in Birmingham, he, he will say that they tried to obey every single law of the land that they could. They went out of their way to do that. And it's only the most egregious of racist laws that they would then peacefully protest against with action, do good, and they change that nation forever. You know, in America at the moment, there are just masses of of protests going, trying to bring reform to the police, which I think is needed in our country probably as well. And thousands of churches overseas in America have mobilized their people to join these protests. But in these protests, you find these small percentages of people who've gone now on to looting and destruction and thievery, and they are taking away from the good that is happening there. The one reflects the character of God, makes him the main character. The other does not. It's not just what, it's how we affect change because we are called to do that. And then finally, the third principle is not only do we think about the posture we have in general to authority, not only do we think about within the bounds of our system that we can affect change and hold the government accountable, but thirdly, when the governments or authorities go against explicit commands of God, what do we do? We always choose and obey God. Always. Peter says, why do we honor the emperor? He says, it's because we fear God. We don't fear the emperor. We don't fear the authorities. We fear God. Now, we have to understand Peter is a Jew. And the Jewish conception of this word fear is not what we think of as fear in our modern age. You know, you go out jogging and this dog attacks you and you're just running away. You're like, you're so petrified. That's fear. It's not exactly the same thing. He is speaking of, in his Jewish mind, of deep reverence and awe and respect for God. It's almost like when you're standing in front of this massive mountain or this this wonder of nature. And in that moment, you feel so small Because the greatness of what you see, it leaves you literally in stunned silence. That's what he says. It's when God has become so great in my heart that I no longer fear anyone else. I don't fear the authorities because God has taken up the seat of deep, reverent awe and respect in my heart. The choice When authorities go against God will always be to honor God and whatever the consequences is, we face. In fact, we see this in the book of Acts. This is the book that tells us the story of the early church. And in chapter four, we see some of these early Christians. They are speaking from joy about what Jesus has done in their hearts, that he's the risen Lord and savior of all. But the government, the authorities didn't like this. So they wanted them to stop. So it says here in verse 18, so they called for them. 
and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I think of Corrie ten Boom, this famous Christian who together with her family, they stowed away Jewish men, women, and children from the Gestapo, this, you know, this, this horrible German police force. And they saved the lives of so many Jewish people. Now, was that against the law? Oh, yes. But did that reflect the character of God in their time? Oh, yes, it did. That's why Peter, he says it so powerfully in this last verse, verse 17. He says, honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters, your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God, but honor the emperor. Do you see that he's using the same word? He says, honor the people. Honor those around you and honor the emperor. Do you realize that in this time, the emperor was seen literally as a god? You had to call the emperor the son of God. You worshiped the emperor. And Peter says, no, we honor the emperor. We honor the authorities, but we worship God. I live in such a way that my posture to authority and our government speaks volumes of the God that I serve. That's how we will see permanent change come to our country. People will come to know God through the way that we posture ourselves. But secondly, he moves on and he says, I, I quickly want to speak about one more thing. And just one or two minutes for us on this. He just asked the question, how can God be then the main character, not just in how you relate to the government, but how about your employer? How can he be the main character? Let's read together. Verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence. There's our word again. Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You know, it's so amazing. <laughs> Context. Once again, you know, there's this word that just jumps out and it grabs you by the throat and you can't see anything else. It's this word slave or slavery. So let's just quickly address the elephant in the text and of course, this is a massive topic. Uh, you know, somewhere in the near future, we will have to handle it with, with great depth and care. But let me just give you a couple of sentences for now. I want to say, number one, that slavery of every kind is evil, it's ungodly, and we should, from a Christian perspective and worldview, eradicate it at every turn. That's why even starting with people like William Wilberforce, eradicating slavery and the slave trade in Europe, even today... Christian organizations like the International, um, International Justice Mission run by Gary Haugen, these are Christians who from their worldview give their lives to see the slave trade of today abolished. But 
we have to understand that what Peter is speaking of, what he encountered, what the church had to deal with in this time, is not the same thing as we would think of as historical slavery practiced you know, in countries like South Africa and America and Great Britain and Egypt and Saudi Arabia. It's not the same thing. We should rather see this as something closer to a professional servanthood that people would actually mostly give themselves into in order to escape poverty and find financial freedom. In fact, it's estimated that a third of the Roman urban population were slaves of this kind. And that included vocations like doctors, teachers, writers, accountants, bailiffs, secretaries, and sea captains. And there's a whole bunch of differences between what we think of as historical slavery and what Peter speaks of. It wasn't permanent. They didn't carry any lower status. Racial factors never played a role. Education was greatly encouraged. They carried out usually just highly responsible social functions. They could own property, and most were legally emancipated by the age of 30. So the point being is slavery is horrible in all its forms. But we have to understand that this is something different that the Roman world had instituted. This was simply the way that most Roman people made a living. And therefore, the closest connection and comparison that we have is the workforce. And therefore, Peter is saying something that all of us, as employers or employees, know by experience. That sometimes you have a boss, you have a colleague, there's a system in place that is just, that's fair. And sometimes you have bosses or colleagues, there are systems in place at your work that are unjust, that are evil, that that disregard you that make your life difficult. And here's the question. When that happens, how will you respond? Do we turn the screws? Do we make them look bad? Do we sort them out? You know, do we spread rumors about them? Do we try and just you know, display the incompetence in front of everyone? Peter says, no. We take a God as main character, posture of submission. We live under the order that we've been placed in, even when it's unfair, so that people would see God. You know, this Greek phrase that's using here, favor with God, it simply means to please God. You know, when the world in my office is just being the world, and it's unfair, and it's unjust, and I then simply react like the world, There's no difference between me or any of my non-Christian colleagues. That doesn't please God. It doesn't make him look good. It doesn't bring honor to him. It doesn't soften people's hearts to his gospel. But, you know, as I was listening to Abby speaking to that young man, and she just met his arrogance with kindness. It was such an opposite spirit. That is what pleases God, when the world is being the world, but I don't react like the world, but I respond with a character that speaks of God, with a countercultural, with a countenance that speaks of God's character, with an opposite spirit that brings glory to Him. Friends, our colleagues, those who do not know Christ, have enough examples of high-performing people that have no tolerance, no patience, no mercy, no code of honor. Can you just imagine what difference it would make to have a counter-cultural group of people in the workforce who even when they are being treated unfairly, they respond with God character. They respond in a different light. 
Peter recounts Jesus' example. When, whenever he was met with evil, he would meet it with good. He made lies with truth. He made corruption with integrity. Just imagine South Africa, every organization and business filled with people living from such a Christ posture. Friend, I want to tell you, even in this difficult time, you have to see the high value of your work, of your vocation. God has given you, Monday to Saturday, a canvas to paint his glory on. How do you treat your colleagues? How do you spend your money? How do you bring passion and excellence to your work? What advances are you making in your field? How do you handle those difficult moments? God is saying, I've called you to make me the main character in every facet of your life. William Dale puts it like this. He says, if Christians cannot find any spiritual meaning in their work, they are condemned to living a dual life, not connecting what they do on Sunday morning with what they do the rest of the week. They need to discover that the very actions of daily life are spiritual and enable people to touch God in the world not away from it. Such a spirituality will say, your work is your prayer. South Africa can change for good. If we were to see the authorities, the government, if we were to see our places of work as places to live under the order, to make God the main character, to bring glory to him and everything. And can I just end off by saying this, friends, will not happen From the outside in, we just decide one day we're going to be better people. We're going to try harder. We're going to go to be like Jesus, Seminar. It won't. It has to happen in here first. Submission has to come from my heart into my life. Listen to what Peter says, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Can I ask you, have you submitted your heart, your life to God? Are you trying still to lean on your own understanding, your own, your own gifting, your own intellect? Are you still trying to look to, your, you know, to the inside to discover peace and tranquility? Or have you come to the place where you say, if not Jesus, if not Him resurrecting and renewing and restoring me, I have nothing. It's when I submit my life and my heart to the one who is life itself that I can submit and work for good wherever God places me. J.I. Packer, once again, it's a paradox of the Christian life that the more profoundly one is concerned about heaven, the more deeply one cares about God's will being done on earth. Let's pray together. Jesus, I simply pray this morning that each of us would once again be arrested by the beauty and the truth of God as our shepherd. And I pray that every area of life would be the canvas that we display your glory. God, if anyone hearing my voice has not submitted their heart, their life to you, may they do so and may they find life in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.